0: So Money, episode 300 Ask Farnoosh with guest Brittany Castro.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30 minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh yourself
0: Creating opportunities by starting your own business is one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself. However, it can also be overwhelming at times. The secret to getting more done isn't about finding more time, but rather finding the right tools. Our friends at FreshBooks couldn't agree more. FreshBooks has created an amazingly simple invoicing tool designed for small business owners who need to focus on their work, not their paperwork. Oh, and invoicing is only the start. FreshBooks lets you know, know instantly when your client has viewed your invoice and even imports your expenses directly from your business checking account. Get ready to say goodbye to searching for receipts when it comes to tax time. If you do have questions, just contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real live humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash so money and enter so money in the, how did you hear about it? Section. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Sol Sehaj's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What? Take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours. And I'm, I'm excited but also a little nervous.
2: Parnish, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and, and cancer-related causes, uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States, in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research or facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes a lot in common with who Mm -hmm. you're raising money for. Talk about that for a minute.
0: Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancers. It's raised over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was uh, life altering. Uh, but of course, it's for an amazing, tremendous and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families.
2: That's so great. And the writer that we're writing for, uh, who's writing in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh, and when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer, and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So, here she is without a dad, and now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000-mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, All the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So, I love these organizations, but- stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four and, zero zero zero. And I hope together we can raise a lot of money.
0: I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Another Friday edition, Black Friday edition of Ask Farnoosh. And joining me, I couldn't think of anybody more fun to celebrate, to ring in the unofficial kickoff to the shopping season. What am I saying? Black Friday is stay home, people. I hope you're listening to this and your PJs at home, not when you're at the mall. But anyway, it is Black Friday. It is a tradition, a retail tradition. And I will be the first to admit that I have fallen for the sales in the past. And I'm going to ask my guest, Brittany, castro to come on come on down Brittany. (laughs) i will welcome welcome to so
1: money thank you what's your black friday tradition um you would probably approve in the financial sense because i have actually never done a black friday (laughs) anything nothing Um, not even like no not even online i'm just not that person i've never been into it um I'm the person who goes to the outlets and buys things full price because, of course, nothing for sale is (laughs) catching my eye. I want the full price item. So I'm like the worst when it comes to this kind of stuff.
0: Um, Well, and I'm sure this is something that you – share with your clients. Brittany, by the way, Brittany Castor has been on the show. She's a friend of So Money and she runs Financially Wise Women and, uh, check her out financiallywisewomen.com. You're, you're based in California. You help largely, well, women as the title would suggest. Um, and we have a lot of questions today about retirement. Is this something that you find in your client work that is just top of mind or is something that
1: you try to make top of mind? You know, it's interesting because my clients are usually in their 30s and 40s. So I think the retirement goal is always important, of course. But they also are um, a lot of times concerned just about even before retirement, you know, how do they maximize their income, save more, budget better, buy a house, um, pay down their debt, buy a house. And, and, you know, retirement is always obviously that long-term goal we all have to work on. But I would say um, with the clientele I work with, it's a little bit less heavy with that discussion Mm -hmm. um, and and more of the priority is on like the short-term foundational pieces of their financial plan.
0: Well, Many of the questions we got for today have to do with retirement, as it turns out. And we'll, we'll start with Elizabeth. And she says she's a new listener. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hope you'll be a long time listener soon enough. She says that, um, She's an attorney and she's been focusing on paying down student loans over the past six years. They've seemed to perhaps be haunting her at this point. Uh, She says she's going to be getting a year on bonus soon and trying to decide how to best utilize it. She asks, should I live off my bonus and try to increase my 401k contributions this year and next? Should I pay off another student loan or put the money towards a down payment. And she says she's torn between these options and says that she thinks like rationally she should focus on paying down the higher interest loans um, since uh, her remaining loans are between 2.12 and three and a three four quarters percentage interest rate. She wants to buy a house next year though and she knows interest rates are going up and she right now puts about 12% of her income into her 401k. What do we think? Well, I I don't think that this bonus should go towards just one thing. I don't know how much of a bonus it is. It sounds like it's enough where she's got some money to play with here. I would say try to put a little bit more towards the student loans and save for the house. Uh The 401k sounds like she's doing a pretty decent job with that. 12% is better than average and even better than what what some people advocate of 10%. So I think in the 401k department, she's probably doing a great job. And if she has the goal of buying the home, this is cash that now she can really work with.
1: I agree. I like how you... um you know, started, which is probably allocating the bonus toward a few different things. And I remember um, from one of our previous uh, callers, you know, we can't forget about the bonus taxes because that is such a damper to the bonus. It's such a wet blanket. It's like 40%. at it least. is. And it's horrible because you, you think, oh, I'm going to get this amazing bonus. And then by the time you get it, half of it's gone for taxes. So we can't forget that first and foremost. Um, and then after that, I, I usually do like a, a rule of three, you know, divide it three ways and figure out, um, you know, maybe increase your contributions to the 401k so you're maxing that out every year that would be a solid um, thing to do another third you can take and put down toward a high interest you know um, rate debt and then the other third you can put toward your home fund um, whether that's like in some sort of high yield savings account or if it's like you know just something like that like a money market so that way you're a little bit um, giving a little bit to each goal but obviously if you're more, focused on that home in the next six months or something, you might decide to put more of it toward the home goal to really get your down payment down. So it, again, it's kind of dependent on where you are with these goals, but the rule of three is pretty good to yeah. follow.
0: And, and I will just say that if your goal is to buy a home, one of the considerations of that the banks will want to make is, you know, how what's your uh, debt to credit ratio? What is your Basically, your you know how much money do you have in the bank, and like I think if you can pay down those loans even more before you apply for a mortgage, that will put you in a better position to then earn the better interest rate and qualify for a better better financing. Okay, Dylan says, "Hey Farnoosh, listen to your show daily. I'm 31. I live in San Francisco. I make forty thousand dollars a year, which is my highest salary I've earned to date. I have no debt." No car payments, no kids. It's taken blood, sweat, and tears to save $35,000 in cash. Wow, that's impressive. And $20,000 in my 401k. While I'm proud of my accomplishments, I can't help but feel that I'll never have enough to buy a house in my hometown. They go for four to $500,000. I'm in a stable relationship, but we don't mix finances. After a few career changes in my 20s, I've settled on a career that fulfills me and has good earning potential, I want to increase my salary with a promotion in the coming months. But in the meantime, I make $40,000. So aside from saving money like Mr. Money Mustache, who saves like 50% of his income, Mm -hmm. who's been on the show, is there anything else I should do to be reaching my goals? I I don't know. I don't want to burst your bubble, Dylan, but buying a home is one thing. And if you if that's your goal, I don't want to kill that. But four to five hundred thousand dollars, making forty thousand dollars a year, you can't do that.
1: And that's going to be hard. It's
0: going to be well. It's not only going to be hard, but who's going to give you the loan? You know, I don't know of any. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, no bank is going to give you a loan for you know three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, because well, that's assuming you have a down payment of fifty or so. Um, mm-hmm. I just think if you want to buy a home, you have to maybe lower your. Expectations. If you want to do it in the near term, you're saying your income is going to go up, and I I hope it will. If your income doubles in the next couple of years, if you get closer to six figures, then I think somewhere even not I think 500 is too high. Even if you're making 100,000 a year, maybe you're looking at 350, 400. It's just one of those calculations that the math doesn't lie, and at the end of the day, you still need to eat, <laughs> and you need to put gas in your car. And if you're going to be house rich, cash poor, that's no way to live. So I think you either have to make a ton more money or lower your expectations about the kind of home you can afford. And there are a lot of homes that are way lower than 400000 but it may mean going out of your target area. I mean, what do you think? This is something that I feel like we're stuck on this principle sometimes of having to be a homeowner, whatever it takes, but sometimes practicality goes out the window.
1: Yes, and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with renting if that's what you have to do based on your income level and other goals that you have. I think this idea of the American dream to buy a home and do it as soon as possible has really we've seen the results of that. You know, it wasn't too long ago when the housing bubble hit and it devastated people financially and um I think we can't ignore the facts that yeah it would be great to own a home, but renting is not a waste of money if that's what you can afford at this time, and it allows you to still live the life and save for your other goals that you're working on so I agree because if you're looking at a four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar home, even if you get like a thirty year fixed at five percent interest rate, which is you know what the kind of calculations you want to run to be conservative. That's you know two to twenty five hundred per month in a mortgage, just mortgage alone. Wow. So that's not including property taxes, um, maybe H, um, HOA. I don't know if you can get a single family residence for that price in San Francisco. Um, PMI. Um, I mean, the, the, so the other there's thing is a lot of home th- costs that th- you know right. it's expensive I mean, to own a home.
0: The other The other way you could look at this, and I'm not advising this, but if you wanted to run the numbers with you and your partner going in on buying this home together, Mm -hmm. combining your incomes, combining your financial profiles, applying for the mortgage together, maybe that'll put you in a higher bracket in terms of what you can qualify for, but – then you have to make the consideration, you know, well, I'm sharing, I'm in this with someone else. And do I really want that? If you're not mixing your finances right now, that, that that tells me maybe you're not comfortable mixing your finances on even a small level, which is like bank accounts and maybe a credit card. And now you're talking mortgage and that's a whole different ballpark, so ball game. So I just want to put that out there too, that maybe if you if the day comes and you feel comfortable doing that, that is probably the only way outside of making more money on your own, that you could then get yourself into a position where you can technically be qualifying for homes of that size. But that's a personal question for you to figure out. And I'm not advising that, but that's I'm trying to figure out how to <laughs> make this work for you, Dylan. Yeah. I don't want to be a party pooper, but I think that this is I don't want to I would oh, I'd hate for you to buy this home somehow and then end up being miserable because of the payment. I mean like mm-hmm. you just did the math. That's going to be more than his um that's more than half of $40,000 a year, $2,500 yeah. a month. So yeah. that's like your whole paycheck going to 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 a mortgage. Let's move on and talk about Andrea's question. She says that she and her, again another 401k question. She and her colleagues. She's speaking on behalf of her her tribe. She says, "My colleagues and I are looking for some 401k rollover guidance!" Exclamation point. We've got similar mm-hmm. back. We have similar backgrounds. Here's her situation. She has a 401k split into a Roth and a normal 401k, a traditional 401k. Um, she has it from her former employer. Her new employer has a 401k option with this with Fidelity. Her old one was with Vanguard. But it has fewer options, so she's hesitant to roll it over. Would it make sense to convert the Vanguard account to a Roth IRA and then restart my 401k with the new company? Can I wait and see how the new account performs and decide later? I wasn't sure if there are any rollover time limits. Thanks and keep on rocking. Um, And she says, love this week's wellness-oriented interviews. Well, thank you. Last week I had, coincidentally, a couple of wellness guests and I was – Afterwards, I was like, oh, did I just do a lot of wellness overload this week? But I guess people <laughs> liked it. Um, so she's a good question. So I think primarily she's she's not sure. And until she figures out what to do, she wants to know as if if there's a time limit as far as when she can do the rollover. And I think that the one thing that she needs to do is just read the fine print. Like it so depends, right? Like there might be a, t- a rollover limit in which the 401k then just automatically becomes an IRA. It's happened to me.
1: Has it? Normally, I haven't. I haven't dealt with issues of a time limit on clients' old four hundred one k accounts. Um, there is something though. If the four hundred one k account balance is less than a certain amount, usually mm-hmm. five thousand dollars, then they'll just. Um, you know, they could just distribute the funds to you directly. Right. Um,
0: That's a really good point because then you have, to take, you have to take. Then it's ta- you're dealing with taxes. Then it's taxable.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But most employers, I mean, quite frankly, I've you know in all the clients I've worked with, it, it takes a long time for employers to process paperwork in general. So usually you can, you know, get in there before any of these things actually happen with your decision um, of, as to how you want to roll it over. But I've never had a client run into to any time limit, like they try to do it and now they can't. I mean, it's your money. You just have to be aware that it is really wise when you leave a company to roll it over so you don't forget about it. You don't, um, you know, stop managing it appropriately. And um, then you just can roll it into an IRA or something um, where you can monitor and keep the investments healthy moving forward.
0: I think she's also concerned about the new 401k not having as many bells and whistles. And so is that something to consider too? I mean, maybe the grass isn't greener over at your new employer as far as the 401k goes. So you're better off perhaps just keeping the money where it is. Although I know there's advantages to just having everything under one roof. So where do you, how do you reconcile that?
1: Yeah, well, I would say that if she's moving to Fidelity, um, it's not necessarily the company, it's the mutual fund options that they list are available for you. So, you know if the new company is using Fidelity for their 401k provider, they might have a list of, I don't know, 10 to 20 mutual fund options that you could choose from and you might think, oh, these aren't the best mutual funds. So, therefore, it would be better for me to roll that old Vanguard 401k into a Vanguard IRA or an IRA at some other institution. You can even do an IRA at Fidelity and just have... The kind of like the mutual fund and investment universe opened up to you because anytime you have an IRA, you just have that many more options available to you. It's not like a limited um, investment lineup that a 401k plan does. So if you're, you know, feeling that way, then by all means, I would say, it's, you know, it's the same kind of paperwork, whether you roll it into your 401k or roll it into an IRA. It might be one extra step to do the IRA, but that way you feel good. And then, you, like she, I think she mentioned, you can see how are they doing over time. And if a year from now you're like, you know what, it's worth it. I'll just con- I just I just want to consolidate it to make it even easier. You can do that at that point. So um, good
0: advice. Yeah. And hopefully this is she'll be sending this back to her
1: committee. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like she has a committee. You know, it's great, though, because a lot of people do these little investment clubs or financial clubs. I think it's it's, it's such it's a great, great idea.
0: Well, thanks uh, for clarifying that. OK, let's move on now to Rebecca. She says, hey, Farnoosh. And now she's going to brag about me. So I'm going to sound like a total uh, like narcissist, but I'm going to just say what she said. She said, first off, I have to tell you how much I love your podcast. It makes my morning drive in, in so much more enjoyable. I love that you are so relatable and positive in your tone. Well, thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for being so positive in your tone. That made my day. Her question is, I have been thinking about starting my own business. All right. I like this question already. The more I learn about entrepreneurship, the more it appeals to me. I'm 25, a new mom, and my husband and I would like to start something together, but we don't know what yet. Any tips on finding a business idea? Also, do you have any resources to help us take sound first steps? Thank you so much for your help and inspiration. She's all the way from Ottawa too, Ontario. Well, I'm, I'm internationally famous. I'm, I'm huge all in right.
1: Ottawa. I Thanks, love Rebecca. that.
0: You know, I remember I did a lot of interviews back in the day for a column in Entrepreneur magazine. I was a columnist for Entrepreneur magazine and I my part of my job was to just interview a lot of small business owners and startup experts and I think the biggest takeaway that relates to your question as far as how do I get my big idea is to two things. I think look at your own life and see what's needed. What do you need? that you don't think there's a solution for out there. And you mentioned you're a mom, you're married, you're young, a lot, very relatable. So you are a very, a very good target market. And so you start with your own personal issues, um, comp, you know, problems or hangups. And then discover what you might do to solve that. And then the next step is to look at, see if if it's not just you. In fact, maybe there is a market for this. And a lot of times successful businesses stem from the business owners, the, the founders recognizing uh, a hole in their own lives that they wanted to fill, and whether it's a widget or a service or a website, that's to be determined. But you know, I think self-reflection is the first step, and um, just keep a notebook, you know, of things that, or in your phone, or however you want to document it. You and your husband, um, and and that's a good, I think, foundation. It doesn't work for everybody, but I think it has worked enough times where it's it's a good strategy. How about you? I mean, you are a business owner. Uh, Brittany, you know you identified a need within a bigger market, which is financial services, but you really identified a niche. And I have to think that it was a personal journey.
1: It was. I I loved your advice. Um, it, it was because for me, I w- had been in the industry um about five years, and I was you know 22 years old when I started. So being a young woman in the finance industry, I just saw, whoa, this is definitely an interesting <laughs> environment i'm in i was a rare breed and um i would just talk with a lot of women clients um even if it was the couples i would work work with and they would just relate to me on a whole different level about money and it, it would always be interesting because we'd be in meetings i had a you know senior partner who was a male and at the end of the meeting the woman would just kind of ask me questions like am I going to be okay? Or, you know, is this all going to work? And she she just, you know, it was kind of that um, process over and over again, where the women just wanted to be reassured that the plan or whatever they were doing with their money would ultimately um, help them continue to live their lives and reach their goals. So I saw the need and just being a woman myself, I said, you know, I think it would be amazing if I could just create a different model to help clients, especially women who are smart and savvy, understand money, but without all that pressure or, you know, guilt or shame for not knowing up until this point. Um, So that was kind of my journey into entrepreneurship and starting my own firm, Financially Wise Women.
0: And what you just told me is a really compelling story. And I think for all entrepreneurs these days, especially in the world of Facebook and sharing and social media and this, everything is so transparent that it's not even so much about having a unique idea, but having a unique story to getting to that idea that's going to attract your customers and your user base. Because ultimately what makes you want to buy from one person over the other, sometimes it comes down to, I just like the other person who brought that product to market. I believe more in their mission and in their story. So it's how you package it and and share your journey to bringing that product service to the world. So don't be discouraged if you do take my advice and you realize, oh, I have this great idea because I have this problem that no one's solving you research it and you're like oh there's three other companies that are doing this don't let that be your stop sign but rather maybe just an encouraging sign that there is a market for this now it's just your job to differentiate yourself and i think uh, that's the next step Um, but tell us how it's going you know tell me if the next six months you come up with some ideas write back tell us what you're thinking we'd love to work this out with you and, and share your journey on so money Uh, let's see here we've got and you were going to say something I I cut you off Brittany I think I heard you I heard you go to say something well
1: I was just going to say one more thing on the financial front when you start a business because it is very exciting to create an idea and start a business but you know being a business owner myself it is also challenging to um, you know, be able to run your business in a way that is efficient for you and the personal goals that you have for yourself financially. So I, I would just say if you're a business owner or someone aspiring to launch a business, um, do some homework and get clear about how much money you need every month to support the lifestyle you want to live. Um, and, and this could just be a simple income calculation, maybe based on the amount you're making today, that's a comfortable amount, um, and you want to replicate that if you you know launched a business. But I, I would just say, really be clear about the financial part too, because I do work with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, and look, you, you're dealing with a lot already as a business owner, so the more clear you can be about how much money do you need every month and every year from this business to make it profitable to you as well. You know, that pays you enough so you can sustain your life, fund your goals. I think th- that kind of clarity will help you get to that income level sooner. Um, and if you, you know, are going to launch full, full force into a business, then you're going to want to also say, okay, if I need $3,000 every month to live my life, am I going to have that in a savings account, you know, for the first year or two years until this business is profitable? Or am I going to, you know, take out some sort of loan? Like what's the game plan for those initial months or years? Because you don't always start a business and make money from day one. I mean, usually it takes a few years actually turn your business into something that's profitable and you're making the income level you want. So, you know, also just think through those, not to scare you. <laughs> don't put your, needs, just but don't quit your day job. <laughs> just, you know, think through it because <laughs> okay. honestly, um, businesses, I think I, I don't have kids yet, but it's like maybe having a kid, they just take a lot of money and, um, yeah, you, you
0: have to be patient. We're going to wrap here with a question. From Samantha, who says her sister, her stepsister is graduating high school this year. She just got a $16,000 academic scholarship to a $30,000 a year school with room and board. Great. Wondering if you have any advice on how to find other scholarships. The best guidance from her guidance counselor was to Google it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I got pages to tell people to Google things, that would have, that'd be a nice uh, job. Um, GTF. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she goes, I know I'm projecting here, but I don't want her to make the same mistakes that I did. Thank you. Yeah, Google can be a really – uh, I mean, in some ways, I love Google. I mean, I Google everything, of course, but I don't use it as my trusted advisor, especially for things that are scholarships that can be sensitive because there are scams out there. You know, people that have fake websites protesting uh, that they're going to give you all this money and you just have to give them your name, number, and credit card information and people fall for these traps. So a red flag is if you apply for a scholarship and the uh, people behind the scholarship want you to give them your personal information. I mean, you shouldn't have to give anything but your name and email. You know, if, if you're asked to get, hand over your social security number or your credit card number, then you know that it's not legit. And some really trusted databases online where you can get scholarship applications: Fastweb.com, Scholarships.com, and also look at. You know, around your community, because sometimes local businesses have scholarships where her parents work, uh, or family members work. There might be scholarships reserved for the family of employees to go to college. So that's another resource. I didn't get college scholarships. Did you, Brittany? I was, no. I, I was a, I should have, I should have been more vigilant. Actually, I did get a little scholarship from Penn State. I was a Schreier Honor Scholar and that was helpful, but I, but outside of the school, I did not i didn't I just didn't know what I was so consumed by the application i didn't
1: I hear you <laughs> I write just- one more essay i was <laughs> i yeah scholarships i I didn't go that route and um uh, you know who who did though ramit Sethi. Yes, I remember yeah got so many scholarships and I think he even taught a course about how to do it, because it's really just learning the system. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a a job in in which you have to take time and apply and you're probably going to get denied most of the time, just like anything else. But I think if you did a numbers game, if you put out enough out there um, applications, you would get more than, you know, someone who didn't do any of that.
0: Right. Because for every person that applies for a scholarship, there's like a 100, I would guess, that don't. And so it's really a numbers game in some ways. And so listen to Ramit's podcast episode on So Money. He talks about that a little bit. Also, Christina Ellis is a guest I had on the show who earned half a million dollars in scholarship money. And you'll – I mean, if she can do it, she just really put her mind to it and uh, started early and that helped but I think even if you're a college senior or even if you're in college there are applicable scholarships at any stage so uh, it, it can't hurt uh, to apply so thanks for your question good luck to your stepsister and I like that you're looking out for her and thank you Brittany Castro so much for joining us again on this special day Black Friday 2015 so-
1: <laughs> you're welcome yeah but see this is what happens on Black Friday I do podcasts with you talking about money so <laughs> (laughs) So responsible. (laughs) One day I'll uh, get to an actual Black Friday and report back for you. I look forward to it.
0: Thank you so much and happy holidays. Hope you're having a good Thanksgiving.
1: Thank you. You too.